0: We'll read a text from Hebrews 12 at some point, if you want to turn there. I'm I'm still not clear if I need to read that now or later in the message. I'm going to tell you a story, which is unlike my, my preaching, so just relax for a minute and listen, and it's okay to laugh if something feels funny. You get to Hebrews 12, just put your finger or a bookmark, and we'll look at it in a little while. This is, this is how I feel I should start. The time this week that I felt the Lord's presence most clearly, most profoundly, was right in the middle of a mess that I made. That was yesterday morning. Um... I didn't feel his presence most profoundly when I was attempting to accomplish some religious duty this week. I didn't feel it most profoundly when I was going through an obligation to him. You know, like, Lord, I'm, I'm doing my dedicated morning Bible reading. That's not when I felt him. Or, Lord, I'm, I'm praying when I promised you I would. Which, by the way, I always fail at those kind of resolutions. And let me say this before I go any further. Right? with it being the time of year it is and how I'm wired, I've been thinking about New Year's and the next year and what's on our heart and what do we want to accomplish and looking back at the past year, all I, that, that's just natural for me. And yet the Lord has shown me in the past and confirmed even lately, um, our resolutions have no power. If we could resolve to do something, we would do it, but we can't. I, I, you know, most new re- resolutions fail by a few weeks into the year. And I think even about that language, resolved. You ever seen like business meeting documents or, or government? It's that resolved, that hereby... Blah, blah. But you know what they do at the next meeting? They resolve a different thing. And so our resolve is, is limited. Um, so that's not what God's going to have me preach on. But the time that I that I felt His presence the most profoundly wasn't in the midst of any of my own... Resolution, any of my own dedication, any of my own nothing. It was in the middle of a mess. And, and yesterday morning, uh, Merritt was gone. She had plans. And so me and Mary Grace were home. And a lot of times when I'm home in the morning, she likes to help me make coffee. And I told you, I'm going to tell you a story, so just relax and, and listen. I have a favorite couple of coffee cups. They're all handmade by a, a potter, and so they're made out of clay. And uh, I like coffee. And I didn't realize, I guess I'm a coffee snob. I don't, I don't like the idea of being a snob about anything, but I'm I, I just not into Folgers or gas station coffee. I want it to be good. And so somebody at work last week gave me the second best coffee I've had. It's locally roasted in Gallatin, it's from Guatemalan beans. The best coffee I've ever had was when I was in Guatemala. So I got this last week, got out my favorite coffee cup. I've been putting MCT oil in it. Some of y'all know about Bulletproof Coffee. If you don't know, that's a, I tell Mary Grace, medium chain triglyceride. So she says it, medium chain triglyceride. It's coconut oil that's liquid. And the problem is when you put that in your coffee, a film of oil comes to the top, which is not pleasant. So I got a frother. And so we have all this. I've got my perfect pour-over coffee, delicious, got the cup. Got Mary Grace sits on the counter and helps me get it all ready. And she always says, Dada, can I froth? And so once I figured out what that meant, then she gets to help me froth. And we put And what it does, and this is all getting to a point about the mess I made. What it does... Is it suspends all the little molecules of oil inside the whole coffee mixture? It makes an emulsion so that the oil's not just sitting on the top. And when you spill it, it doesn't just go in one place, it goes everywhere, suspended in the coffee molecules. And so I've got bacon in the oven, I'm heating up the egg pan on the stove, she's over there playing and talking nonstop like she loves to do, and I drop the cup on the granite countertop, and it breaks, and the coffee goes everywhere. And something that's been on my heart, and merritt we've talked about it, she's such a sensitive child that anytime we used to drop something, she would just burst into tears. When she was young, we'd go to a restaurant, and if somebody coughed, she would just burst into tears. And I've gone to strangers' tables before and said, can you please tell her you're okay, so she'll stop crying. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So this is in my mind. I want to make sure she knows it's all okay. But also, I'm telling you, this was in my heart. I want her to understand, because she's got some kind of wiring. I don't know how it got there. That she thinks she can't make a mistake. She's not allowed to mess up. And it's been on my heart to let her know that we make mistakes, we mess up, we fail, we fall, and it's all okay. So, this perfect cup of coffee breaks, and it goes. Y'all, y'all have had this happen over the front of the cabinet, inside the drawer, on top of the nice little soft mats, because we have concrete floors at our house, and everywhere. And she's over there, sweet as can be, but why did you break that data? <laughs> why is coffee everywhere? It's everywhere. It's even in the dining room. <clears throat> why? And we're just the whole time asking me. And so I say, sweetheart, you can come around to the other side, because I want to make sure there's no glass, and you can watch me clean up. And that was the moment that I felt the Lord's presence the most clearly this whole week. That's why I told you that big long story. It was as if... I don't hear him speak in a voice with words, but it felt like that. I'm not a a super calm person by my temperament, y'all know that. And usually in a situation like that, I would be like frustrated, stressed out, and I might say, like, go over there and be quiet. Like, stop talking so I can think. But the Lord's presence was there in such a way that I felt as calm as could be. And I I mean, I'm sweeping the... It's not just coffee, it's that suspended coconut oil all over everything. So it's, you know, layers of hot water and dish soap clean it, rinse it out, do it over and over. And she's watching the whole time, and I feel so calm. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, (laughs) and I didn't know what I was going to preach today. It was like he said, I came to be with you in your messes. This is what I want you to preach Sunday. You go tell the people that's why I came, to clean up your messes and to be with you in your messes. And so that's where my heart is this morning. And you know, I don't usually just tell stories, but I hope that helps you understand We make messes, and God looks at us. Scripture says, as as a father pities his children, so the Lord has mercy upon them that fear him. You think about that for a moment. When your small child makes a mess, what do you do? Now, if she had broken something, I would have picked her up, sat her on the counter, out of the danger zone. It's okay, honey, and I would clean it up. That's what God does. And yet, many people have this conception of God that what he does is, what'd you do that for? Clean it up. That's not how he interacts with his children. He's, he has pity. He's merciful. And he showed me that. And that may not seem like a big deal to y'all, but I'm telling you, that was when I felt his presence. And it continued all day. And I'm laying there tucking her in bed, at, laying by her at night. We said prayers, and I just have tears rolling down my face because his presence is so clear. Not noisy. Just Soothing and calm and peaceful. Beautiful. That's what he showed me. That's why I came. To fix your messes, to to be not just to fix your mess, but to be with you in your mess. And that's that's the message on my heart today. Life's messes. We'll get to scripture in a few minutes, but continue to, to just bear with me. Maybe your life's a mess. Maybe you feel like it's a mess. I've met people that feel like their life is just one ongoing, continual, big mess. Have you ever met somebody? Maybe you felt like that. Like, no matter what happens, nothing good ever happens to me. I've met people that feel that way. And there have been seasons in, in my life, I don't usually think that way, but there have been seasons where things just seem tough, just messy. Like, like, no matter, have you ever felt like no matter what you try, you're going to mess it up? Maybe you've even felt like, listen to this, and I don't know who this is for, but this was put in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's for somebody listening, or maybe somebody here. Maybe you felt like you are one of life's messes. I've had people tell me they feel like their existence is a mistake. You know that? Do you know this this epidemic of suicide that we have in our culture right now, with young people especially? It's rooted in lies of the enemy, where sometimes they believe their their life is a mistake. I'm not even supposed to be here. If you've ever been told lies like that by Satan, I want you to know they're lies from Satan. You're supposed to be here. And the fact that you are here is proof that God created you. And the fact that He created you is evidence that He has a purpose for you and a plan for you and you're supposed to be here. You're not a mess. Your existence is not a mistake and the fact that you're here is not an accident. And I'm here to tell you, this is what He put in my heart. Jesus came to clean up our messes. He came to be with us in the midst of our messes. He came to help us through our messes, and he came to rescue us from our messes. He didn't come so you could stop making messes. Do you hear me? Sometimes we think that. That, that now it's my job. Some people think I can't get saved until I stop making messes. And then some people think, once he saves me, I can't make any more messes. Let me tell you, if you're an honest person, you're going to keep making messes. And if you're not an honest person, you're going to make messes with lies on top of messes. Obviously, nobody's suggesting that sin is no big deal and you should make all the messes you can. Nobody's saying that. But you're going to make messes. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. That's the main thing I'm trying to teach her. It's okay. Do you understand? It's okay. It's okay. I want to say this too. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Sometimes we think we're not allowed to be lost. I'm not talking about destined for hell. I'm talking about just, I don't know what I should be doing. Lost in life. Jesus came to seek and save the lost ones. To save you, but then also to help you. To to walk with you. He doesn't just give you a map and tell you to go do something. He's there with you, going through it with you. He came to seek and save the lost. And what are lost people? Let's talk about salvation for a second. When all of us, before Jesus adopted us as children, what were we? We were lost, but but really, what does that mean? We were his enemies. We don't think about that much, but, but... He came to love his enemies in such a powerful and pure and profound way that his enemies would find his love unresistible. Every person he's ever saved was his enemy right until he saved them. That's a a hard thing to realize. It's a strange thing to accept, but It's true. Jesus didn't just come to save the lost. He didn't just come to save people who make messes. He came to save those with a past. I don't know what's in your past. But he does. He came to save people with a past. The Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters, Such were some of you. Sometimes we think church people are supposed to be this other kind of category. And there is a standard of behavior, a standard of don't, don't misunderstand. If you're saved by God's grace, you can't do whatever you want, and there will be consequences. And some of the older saints of God can tell you. They will attest to this. I've never met a, a person who was, had any wisdom about them that was proud of any sin they committed. Nothing good comes from sin, period. But God redeems. He redeems brokenness. He comforts you through your messes, and He cleans up your messes, and sometimes He just takes you up out of it. Sometimes, like I would do for my baby, there's a mess that you made, sometimes He just picks you up and takes you somewhere else where there is no mess. Have you ever had Him do that? He's done that to me. So many times. I, I, I don't know what sins you might be struggling with. Now, Jesus can deliver you from besetting sin from entanglement with sin. As His children, we're not supposed to be slaves with sin, but that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. That doesn't mean there's not a battle. That doesn't mean there's not a struggle. I used to joke about when I commuted to Nashville, every day was a battle with, with road, like hatred in my heart. I'm Really. And that's not no big deal. But it's a big deal to surrender to it and to give over to it and to live a lifestyle of conformity to sin. We're not supposed to be conformed to sin. And I'm saying all that to say this I don't know what you might be struggling with even right now or last week or the week before that, but Jesus came to rescue you, not just from sin and not just from the enemy, He came to rescue you from yourself. When I say He came to help with your messes, I don't know about you all, I am a mess. I'm the kind of person people think I have it all together. They always have. Ever since high school, people come to me for advice. I don't have it all together. And that's not me projecting an image. It's just the grace of God. If it seems like I've got something together, all it is is His favor and His grace. Because I don't. I'm a mess. I'm broken without Him. And so are you. And I say that without any self-condemnation. You know why? Because He loves me unconditionally in spite of that. And I know that. I feel it. He's convinced me of that. There's people here, right now, not just in this church, other churches, but I know right here there's people who are still laboring to try to earn the Father's love. You don't have to. When He adopts you, His love is unconditional and it never goes away. And as I keep saying, He never unadopts you. He's not that short-sighted. He knows Jesus said, those you've given me I've kept and none of them is lost. He knows. He's holding on to you and it's for a purpose. And it's in spite of everything you are. So you don't have to worry about it. You realize that? You can relax. You remember what I preached a few recently? Let down your arms. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Let down your arms. Relax. Relax. The Holy Spirit came to rescue you. And I want you to know if you're here and you need him, if you're listening to this recording. And it might not this might not be some seasoned sinner. It might be to a child. He's here to rescue you. He's here right now. F- Don't you all feel him? And if he's dealing in your heart, all you have to do is surrender to him. You pray and just give him yourself. That's, that's what seeking the Lord is. And it's so... It's so simple. It's like I'm, I'm down, you know, with my soapy washcloth on my hands and knees and my sweet little daughter. Why is the coffee everywhere? Why is it in? Did it get in the drawer? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> what, why are you doing it? <laughs> well, I'm cleaning it up. Why are you cleaning it up? But God's sustaining grace right there, wasn't it? One of the things that we're going to see in this passage that we'll look at in the maybe second part of this message in Hebrews, many people have a frame of reference toward the Father in heaven that He wants to punish them. Because we've been taught that. How many of you all have heard, those He loves, He chastens. If He chastens them not, they're bastards and not sons. I've heard that my whole life. We're going to look at the context of it and what it actually means. Some people think discipline is about punishment. And I want you to understand, we, we have a, we've done a Bible study get-together with some friends of ours with young kids, and we're trying to do a better job at parenting. So we try to learn about what the Lord says. And something that's come out in these discussions that we have is many of the people are afraid to discipline their children because the only example of discipline they've ever seen is punitive, Punishment. I'm going to explain it in a minute, but do you know the father's discipline is not punitive? Do you know there is no punishment for his children? There's chastisement, there's discipline, that's not about punishment. He punishes the wicked, not his children. There's no condemnation for his children. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, we'll see that, we'll talk about it. But I want to go ahead and tell you. Punishment says, you should have known better. I'm going to make sure you suffer for the mess you've made. That's what punishment says. That's what we do to evil people. And they should be punished. You can't do that, I'm going to punish you. We as a society have decided that there needs to be punitive consequences for certain actions. That's necessary. But that's not how the loving father looks at his child. Punishment says you should have known better. I'm going to make you suffer for the mess you've made. Discipline or the chastisement of the Lord says I want the best for you. I'm going to do what's necessary to help you avoid pain and suffering. And when you make a mess, I'll be right there holding your hand. Do you know that? Have you felt that? Maybe you felt it deep in your spirit, but you're still in your mind, still think you've got to earn his approval somehow. You don't. You don't. That verse I quoted earlier, Psalm 103, as a father pitieth his children, the English Standard Version says it this way, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to them that fear him. You know what God wants from you? Just to love him and fear him. That's it. So, with all of that in mind, let's look at this section of Hebrews. And I'll just start in the first verse and read through 13 to give us the context. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For... Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're, you're bastards and not sons. That was the verse earlier that we loosely alluded to. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of Spirits and live? That, what I just said, this is, that's what it's explaining. The chastisement is for your life. That's what he's saying. You've been trained to respect earthly fathers and give them reverence, but the Father, the Holy Spirit, does it for your life. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure... You know, sometimes people you 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 discipline your kid for your convenience. I want you to be quiet. Leave me alone, right? I'm like, that's what human parents sometimes do. God never does that. He doesn't need convenience because he doesn't get inconvenienced because he's all sufficient. He doesn't. None of it is like that with him. They for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up thy hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed." Just listen to the, the context of that. that verse gives us the key to understanding this passage. Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The, the point of the discipline of God is to give you strength. Not to beat you down for not having enough strength. His chastisement is the exact opposite of what many of us have been trained to believe. It's not about Him getting you, it's about Him helping you. It's not about Him punishing you. It's about Him training you. You understand? It's so different. And in that way, you don't have to carry... I love this this wording. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down and your feeble knees. So many of us are walking through life with our hands hanging down and our knees weak. Sometimes our heads hanging down because we don't understand the Father's unconditional love. We walk around with a cloud of... Despair, like, oh, I disappointed my father. You know what's reality? You made a mess. because That's how life is. You didn't disappoint him. He already knew. And he chose to love you already anyway. And then this last part: make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather be healed. The whole purpose of all of the Lord's chastisement, or discipline, or training—whatever word you want to use—is that it might be healed, that you might see the Lord. That, that's the point. Every thing God does for you is ultimately for your good, for your health, for your life, for your benefit, for your strengthening. And so, and also, the Lord doesn't operate in this; He doesn't use guilt. To, to motivate you or threats or 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 fear in that. He doesn't operate that way because a loving father wouldn't operate that way. Now, let's look at this, this word because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want us to interpret scripture with scripture. That's how we need to understand what it says. And so this word... Um, for back in Hebrews 12, 6, Whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Man, that doesn't sound very nice when you just read it. it. Sounds like if you want to be my kid, I'm going to beat you first. That's why some of these country brothers and sisters of mine think things like that, because that's what it sounds like. Have you ever heard them talk about, they'll get up and testify about the Lord whooping them real good? That has always confounded me, because I've never gotten a whooping from the Lord. Do you know that? I haven't. You say, well, then you're not his son. No, you don't understand what the word means. He doesn't do that. He chastens you. He disciplines you. He trains you. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. What's the word, chasteneth? It comes from a Greek word, paiduo, and this word's used 13 times in the New Testament. It means, the word means to train children, to be instructed or taught or to learn, to cause one to learn. That's the primary meaning of this word. A, a, a secondary meaning is sometimes to chastise or to, to correct with words. Sometimes, and by the way, that's a pastor's job. I've seen people get mad and not come back. In my own preaching, other peoples they don't like to be told they're wrong. Part of the job is to, to, to speak the truth. And sometimes a loving father has to tell his child, you were wrong, here's why. And that does hurt. You know why? It hurts your pride. It's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. So the, the chastening, the word can mean um, molding character. It can mean uh, training. It can mean... Now, it can mean hitting, like, like, like spanking, we would call it in our modern culture. And that's necessary, discipline. Uh, but God I think we misunderstand how He uses that sort of discipline because we've had so many poor examples of earthly fathers. Most people I know who were who were hit as children were beaten. And that's not what the scripture's talking about. But in my opinion, it's a mistake not to have any discipline because that's not helping the child either. So let's look at how this word is used. Not just the definition, which is primarily training children or correcting with words or sometimes chastising with, with blows. Let's see how it's actually used in Scripture. That will help us understand it better. Thirteen times it's used. Uh, Luke twenty three sixteen. it's used this way. I'll chastise him and release him. The chastisement is it's not, it's not going to destroy you. It's going to be a short, brief punishment, and you're going to be released. Um, Luke twenty three twenty two. He said unto them the third time, "Why, what evil has he done? I found no cause of death with him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go." This is talking about Jesus, and the the government authority saying, "I'm not going to beat him to death. I'm going to just chastise him, and he's going to go." That's. I'm just giving you the context of how this word is used. This one's interesting. Acts 7:22: Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. You say, "Where's that? I don't see any beatings. I don't see any chastisement. The word is "learned." The, the Greek word in this case is translated as "learned." In other words, he was trained. Sometimes training doesn't require violence, and it never has to require punishment. And again, punishment's not the same thing as discipline. Acts twenty-two, three says, I'm verily a man which am uh, a Jew, born in Tarsus, Paul's writing here, city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, was zealous toward God as you are this day. The Greek word that's used as chastisement in Hebrews is here transferred as taught, or, or translated as taught. How was Paul taught? Were the rabbis beating him with a stick all the time? No. They were training him. And so when it says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, it's primarily his training, his encouragement, his making you the man or woman he wants you to be. And it doesn't require much violence. Training is not about ah, ah, ah. if you think that, you're broken. Y'all ever heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people? It's true. And so so much of our misunderstanding about God's discipline is because we've been hurt by hurt people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11:32, when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord so that we should not be condemned with the world. Again, God chastens you or trains you so that he doesn't have to judge you and punish you. Do you understand? there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. I've heard people ignorantly say, you better not be lying behind me on Judgment Day. Like, i got a lot I'm going to have to... What a stupid statement. It's so foolish. Can you imagine how that must make the Father feel who loves you unconditionally and who has already forgiven you? I don't think Judgment Day is going to be the same for redeemed children of God and sinners who rejected His mercy. I'm not sure there's going to be a line of you. Now, Scripture teaches we'll all have to answer for the things done in our body. We will. But you know who paid the price for the things done in your body? Jesus. He already answered for it. You understand? This unconditional love of the Father is so... If you can get this, that will motivate you more than any threat of punishment ever could. No matter what I can do, He's already forgiven me. No matter how messy I make my life, Jesus has already cleaned it up. Some of you don't even believe that. That's what Scripture teaches. It doesn't mean sin's without consequence. You can hurt your own life. You can damage the life of those around you. Sin has terrible consequences and a ripple effect. And some of you are suffering because of your parents' or your grandparents' sin. Not because God's getting you, but because there's a ripple effect. It gets, even gets in your DNA if you want to go that deep. But God, you know what? God can sustain you through that. He can help you through it. You can break generational cycles and, and, and pain. You don't have to be um, confined to it. You don't have to be a slave to it. You're supposed to be a slave to His righteousness. <sighs> I'm feeling a little better, but I'm not done. I'm not done yet. A few more of these verses. An unknown and yet, this is Acts, uh, 2 Corinthians 6 9. As unknown and yet well known as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed. God's chastening is never about killing you. His punishment is when he punishes wicked sinners, he's going to kill them, and then they're going to eternally suffer. Does he want to? No, he wants them to repent. But if they don't, they started his enemies. They remained his enemies, and not only his enemies, but the enemies of all innocent people. Second um, 2 Timothy two twenty five. Paul tells Timothy. He says, "In meekness, you should instruct those that oppose themselves." That word "chasten," translated in Hebrews right here, is translated as "instruct." How do you think Paul was telling Timothy to instruct people? With a stick? Let me tell you about the Word, Brother David. No. But people think that. No, this is train them. Teach them. How do you teach? Speak the truth in love. And that's our primary duty as a parent. Speak the truth in love. That's the main thing God through His Holy Spirit does to us. Speaks the truth in love. You made a mess, son. Let me show you why it happened so you don't do it again. I want you to understand why. Why? I don't want you to go through that again. And here, sit here while I clean it up for you. That's the God I serve. And if y'all don't have that God, you've got some twisted version of him that's not him. That's the God of Scripture. And then we get to the verses in Hebrews. Do you understand it a little bit better now? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Do you understand? It's, does it feel a little different hitting you now than what, maybe what you've heard? Does it feel? Usually, you read that verse and you're kind of like, you know, your shoulders are tense and you're ready to take a blow. Now I read that verse and I go, ah, you know why? It's all for my good. Does not mean? Now it does say nobody enjoys it while it's happening. That's true. But if you endure chastening, Hebrews twelve seven, God deals with you as sons, for what son is he whom the Father does not train, discipline, teach? Chasten. And then Revelation three nine is the final place it's used. It says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten or chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. The whole point of God's discipline is to turn you to Him, not to get you. Does the scripture say, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked? If he doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, why would he take pleasure in punishing one of his children? That's not fun. You know that. If you've tried to be a good parent, you know that in your heart. I don't enjoy disciplining my child. I don't take pleasure in it. I'm doing this for their good. This is necessary. And as human parents, we don't do it perfectly. And you give yourself grace about that too. But you know what? God does it perfectly. I've got a few final thoughts. Bear with me just a couple more minutes to bring this all together. What is the ultimate purpose of the Lord's discipline? His chastening. Why does He do it? Why is it necessary? Why does He allow hard things to happen to His children? Why does He sometimes bring hard things upon His children? Let me, I want to read you something from Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Chinese missionary who died in jail preaching the gospel. Recently, I mean in the 1900s. This is from a book he wrote called The Breaking of the Outer Man and the Release of the Spirit. Every bit of the chastening or training or discipline that you receive from the Lord is for one primary purpose. To break this so this can get out. And if you weren't, if that wasn't on video, I'm saying to break the outer man, the flesh, the body, so that the spirit can get out. As we get ready to close, I want to read you a few of Brother Nee's words because he's captured it better than I could say. Listen. Sooner or later a servant of God discovers that he himself is the greatest frustration to God's work. Sooner or Or later, he finds that his outer man does not match his inner man. The inner man heads in one direction while the outer man heads in another direction. He discovers, excuse me, He discovers that his outer man cannot be subject to the rule of the Spirit and cannot walk according to God's highest demands. He discovers that the greatest hindrance to his work is his outer man and that this outer man frustrates him from exercising his spirit. Every servant of God should be able to exercise his spirit, to secure God's presence in his spirit, to know God's word through his spirit, and... To touch men's condition by His Spirit, to convey God's Word through His Spirit, and to sense and receive divine revelation with His Spirit. Yet the frustration of the outer man makes it impossible for him to use His Spirit. Many servants of the Lord are fundamentally unfit for the Lord's work because they've never been dealt with by the Lord in a fundamental way. Without this dealing, they're basically unqualified for any work. All excitement, zeal, and earnest pleading is in vain. This kind of fundamental dealing is the only way for us to become a useful vessel to the Lord. Among all the people in the world, some have the Lord's life within them. And among those who do have the Lord's life, we find two different kinds of conditions. With the first, the life is bound, surrounded, and locked up. They're saved. They're saved. But the movement of the Spirit is stuck underneath this shell of the hard outer man. Their self-preservation. This is why the dealing of the Lord is necessary. That's what His chastening is about. Back to what Brother Nee said. With the first, the life is bound, surrounded, and locked up. With the second, the Lord has opened up a way... And the life can be released. The problem with us today is not, how can we have life? In other words, if you're saved by God's grace, that's not the point. The point is, how can we allow this life to flow out of us? Amen. I'm saved. My, my place in heaven is secure. I'm okay. I'm not worried about that. You know what, conf- what, worries me, what, what, what burdens me is, I don't show love as much as I want to. I don't know if people see God in me as much as they could. I want this life of God to get out. Not to be hidden under my flesh, but to be released. And so, do you understand what He's saying and what the Scripture is teaching? Is whatever needs to happen to this body, to break it down, to crush it, to to open it up so God's life can get out, it's worth it. That's the point. So why are you so emotional about it? Because... I'm overwhelmed by the love of God that He would love me enough to send His Son, not only to send His Son and die for my sins, but He would love me enough to continue to chastise and train and help me for His good and our good and my good. Man, it's it's so beautiful. Doesn't mean life isn't sometimes hard. And I also I needed to say this just for the sake of clarity. Not everything bad that happens to you is God doing it to you. Don't misunderstand. Sometimes hard things happen in your life that are a result of your own poor decisions. And then God is there. to Again, you make messes. God doesn't make messes for you. You make messes. He helps you clean them up or He cleans them up. But He does discipline. He does train. He does help. He does guide. And you know what? It's all for this purpose. And y'all if read this sometime if you want. It, it's powerful because it's, it's the truth of God. He, 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 he's got. Let's use Scripture. We won't use my opinion or Chinese preachers' opinion. Let's use Scripture. We have this, true, this, this uh, treasure. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. That's, that's the words of the Apostle Paul. This treasure, this supernatural gift of God, the life of the Holy Spirit inside of me is inside of a clay pot. That's what Scripture calls this body. How does light get out of a clay pot? Only when it's broken. Do you know that? It's either got to break or it's got to get low enough that the light can get out that hole in the top. That's it. You can't see the light any other way. So this is what, back to the text, despise not the chastening of the Lord. This is why you shouldn't despise it because it's necessary to break this mess, clean up this mess, let the life of God out. It's so beautiful. And I'll conclude by saying this, if somebody wants to get a song ready, or maybe maybe y'all want to sing after when I'm done, Bobby and Jesse, if you want to get ready. I look back on my life. The truth is, there's plenty of messes. There's mistakes, there's sin, there's, you know. I'm a sinner. Don't mistake, I'm a sinner. Y'all got a sinful man for a pastor. I got some sinful... Church members. He had some sinful body parts, every one of us. But when I look back on my life, that's not what I see. I look I look back and you know what I see? All I see, all I see is the mercy of God. That's all I see. I, I mean I mean that really. I look back and I just see his mercy. This day, this day, this day, this happened. He protected me from this. I and you know what? There's that we're not even aware of. He's protected us, he's helped us, he's strengthened us. I can tell you stories, y'all probably have stories of your own, of God's mercy, let's dwell on that.